Good morning. It's a joy to be with you. My name is Wade. I am the pastor for college students here at Parkview, the ministry of 24-7. Uh, if you are a college student uh, and I've not met you, please come meet me after the service. I'd love to get to know you and get you plugged into what Jesus is doing here at the college students at Parkview Church. We're going to be in Psalm 1 today. If you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 1, that'd be awesome. We're continuing a series on the life of David. We're kind of shifting from stories about David's life into the Psalms that he wrote. Now, I know, look at Psalm 1. It doesn't say it's written by David. But uh, my argument for choosing Psalm 1 is this. Uh, Deuteronomy 17 talks about uh, this law for the kings of, of God's people. And uh, the king was supposed to be the leader of God's people. And the way they were to, to lead God's people was by embracing the law of the Lord and by living it out. So they, they were kind of, in a sense, to be the embodiment, what everyone was to look to as the ideal Israelite, the ideal follower of God. And so this psalm talks about the blessed person, this righteous person who has delighted himself in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So David, as a faithful, not perfect, but faithful Israelite king, he would have lived the life of Psalm 1. And so that's why I've chosen Psalm 1 in this series on David. And so if, as you're turning, uh, just to remind you uh, about what I mean by the law, okay? The law, oftentimes we think of law as restriction. Uh, actually, law is about instruction, not restriction. It instructs you on who God is, what he has done for you, and then clearly lays out how you ought to respond to him in faithfulness. That's, that's what the law is all about in the Bible when it says law. Oftentimes we think of restriction, things we should not do. Actually, it's, it's a vision for what it means to flourish as a human being. That's what the law of God is in Scripture. And so Psalm 1 is about what looks like a person who embraces this law. And Psalm 1, it presents to us a choice. One choice about two paths, okay? And here's the, the big question I want to be asking. It's this. Will we choose the path that leads to life or the path that leads to death? Will we choose the path that leads to life or the path that leads to death? If you look at verse 6 of Psalm 1, what does it say? For the Lord knows the way, the path of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this psalm is about two paths, and it's going to try to urge you to make a choice about the right path, the path of life. And so what I love about the Bible is that the Bible's like a good pair of glasses, okay? Without these glasses, things are fuzzy. But I put these glasses on, I see it clearly. And that's what the Bible does. The Bible, here in Psalm 1, God is just speaking very honestly to you and frankly. Uh, and he's just saying, here's the deal. There's, there's, there's only two ways to live as a human being. You either live the path of righteousness, embracing the, God's word, living life of fruitfulness and life, or you can reject all that as a joke and choose a different path entirely that will end in death. So life or death. The choice is yours, but the Bible's very clear. There's not many paths to God, okay? There's one path. It's through life in Christ, and Psalm 1 is given to us as good news because it's going to try to urge us and compel us to make the right choice. So Psalm 1, I'm going to read God's Word, and you can listen as I do so. Listen now to God's good word from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law he meditates day 
and night. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked, they will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. It's totally true and good for us. To him alone be glory. Pray with me. Father, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would compel us to choose the path that leads to life. Compel us, urge us, encourage us, give us all of your Holy Spirit to really convince us that this is real. We're not making stuff up here. This is not a fantasy or a myth. Real stuff is happening right now in the preaching of your word. And I pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit to compel us to choose the path that leads to life. Lord, I also pray for those uh, who are preaching in East Campus and North Campus. Lord, would you fill them by your Holy Spirit? Encourage them, Lord, and give the listeners ears to hear your word. And so now, Lord, for us, right now, as we come to your word, we ask that you'd help us believe all that you teach, obey all that you command, trust all that you promise, and love all that you love for the sake of Jesus, by the power of his spirit. Amen. So if you ask my wonderful wife, Claire, what one of my uh, greatest weaknesses is, uh, she would probably say indecision. Okay, indecision is one of my uh, biggest faults. Uh, in fact, um, it's so much of a problem. Uh, one day, my mom gifted me with uh, a gift, and I unwrapped it, and inside was a nice, cute little plaque that read, Indecision. It may or may not be my problem. And so, it's just been something I've always struggled with. And for some reason, don't ask me why, when I want to buy shoes is when I feel super indecisive. I don't know what happens. I don't know if it's the new shoe smell or what. But something happens, I walk into a shoe store, and usually I've got two great pairs, and I can't choose which one. And so it becomes imperative that Claire is with me, because in a sense, Claire is the voice of reason. And as I'm faced with these two different options, two pairs of shoes, Claire is there to help to encourage me to choose the best pair, to choose the right pair. And Psalm 1 is good news for us because that's what Psalm 1 is like. It, like. Like Claire does for me in the shoe store, Psalm 1 is urging us, encouraging us, compelling us to make the right choice, to choose the right path. And it does so kind of through pairs of two. We're going to see in verse 1 and 2 that there are uh, two voices. And then verses 3 and 4, there's two images. And then the final 5 and 6, there's kind of two different destinies, right? The righteous are known by the Lord, the wicked will perish. And so the flow of Psalm 1 is this. If we're going to choose the right path, what the psalmist, the, the author of this, these six verses, what they're trying to do is this. Through this, they're trying to convince us that God wants us to choose the path that leads to life. That's the one thing. If you can go away with one thing tonight, today, is that God wants you to choose the path that leads to life. But to convince you to do that, the psalmist it's going to show that the, the path you choose depends on the voice that you listen to. Okay, the two voices. It depends on the voice you listen to. It depends on the image that describes your life, of the two images. And then it's the choice that's presented to us in the very end. 
the voice we listen to, the image that describes us, the choice that's presented to us. Because that's, that's what's going to happen. At the end of Psalm 1, we've, we've got to make a choice. We choose the path leads to life or the path leads to death. Let's jump into part 1, verses 1 and 2, the voice that we listen to. Look at verse 1 and 2. Here are two different voices, we might say two different authorities on which path we should choose. Verse 1 says this, Blessed, happy, satisfied, content is the man, the person, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Someone gives you counsel, they're trying to train you in a way of thinking. They're trying to shape the way you think, so they change how you act. So, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, the, the way of thinking of the people around you, the culture around you, nor do you stand in the way of sinners. If someone says uh, they're choosing a certain way of life, they're talking about lifestyle, behavior. So, not believing everything that the culture is telling you, uh, not behaving like the culture. And the third one is belonging, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I'm walking somewhere, and I'm standing, and then I'm sitting. Sitting is this posture of, of belonging. You are in the seat of scoffers. In Scripture, scoffers are those who have fundamentally rejected God in such a way they think he is a joke, they think his word is ridiculous, and they completely disown God. And so what's the first voice? The first voice is really, it's this counsel of this wicked. And in Scripture, the wicked person, according to one scholar, is this. The wicked person, is defined in Scripture, is those who are self-ruled, self-grounded, self-centered, self-seeking. The essence of wickedness is autonomy. Wickedness is to trust self instead of God. So we have that option. We can listen to the voice of culture that's saying, choose self, trust in self, or we have a different option in verse 2, listening to the voice of God and his law. Verse 2, the righteous person's delight, his joy, his passion in, in life is the law of the Lord, the Lord's instruction in his word. And on this law, he meditates, he thinks about it, he uh, maybe sings it, he uh, chews on it, he seeks to apply it to his life, he meditates on it day and night, because he realizes in the law of the Lord we have the very voice of God, the very word of God given to us for our good. So we have the voice of culture and the voice of God. Which voice are we listening to? Because whatever voice we choose, that's going to be determining the path that we walk on. Because our temptation in our day and age is to listen to the voice of culture, which is to pursue self above God. But the righteous person given to us in verse 2 is the person that rejects that and instead enjoys the blessing and happiness of fellowship with God through the teaching of his word. And so in two verses, the psalmist actually has described life in the 21st century. Because if there's one thing that is true of us as Christians, we live in a world that is contrary, that believes contrary to the Word of God, that behaves contrary to the Word of God. And the temptation is to be conformed to the pattern of culture instead of, verse 2, having our minds transformed by delighting in the Word of God. So the choice is before us, which verse, which voice we listen to. Australian author Mark Sayers puts it like this, in today's culture, the way that our culture defines sin or wickedness, it's defined as denying yourself your desires. So if there's a law, maybe, maybe you can think of it like this. If there's a law or a culture 
uh, meditates on, if there's a law that our culture delights in, it is the law that I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, with whoever I want. Uh, We've become a law to ourselves. The voice of culture is that my life is my own. I belong to me and to no one else, and so my sexuality is about me. I get to define my sexuality and sexual preferences according to my desires and feelings. My online activity is about me, and so whatever websites I visit, uh, it's, it's determined by how I feel and what, my, uh, what I want for my own pleasure. My money is mine, so what's going on in my bank account is nobody's business, especially not God, so I get to buy whatever I want. I can do whatever I want with my money because it's mine. That's the voice of culture. But see, what about the voice of the Word of God? What about the voice of King Jesus? The voice of King Jesus is not one of self-fulfillment, but one of self-denial and love of God and others. In Jesus' kingdom, it's not the voice of my life is my own. No, it's my life belongs to God and in service to Him and to others. So your sexuality, your computer activity, your money, your time, the list could go on and on. All of these things, according to the Bible, are gifts given to you that you ought to steward for his purposes and not your own. See, God's law is given to you to help you flourish under his loving kindness and generosity. And the voice of culture is contrary to that. Now, if you're new to Christianity or exploring it for the first time, this might be one of your core uh, reasons you might reject Christianity, one of the questions you have about it. The Bible, to me, Wade, seems like it shackles or hinders my freedom. Because all I see in the Bible is a bunch of rules that I uh, must keep or things I must not do. And honestly, the things it tells me not to do are pretty fun. The Bible seems contrary to what actually gives real freedom. Because culture believes that freedom is about doing whatever you want. So if you believe that, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you bring your honest questions. I believe the Bible offers solid answers to honest questions. I might think of it like this. If our culture believes that freedom is about doing whatever you want, this actually is impossible. I'll give you an example. New York Times bestselling author Tim Keller says it like this. Uh, Imagine you have an athlete, okay? Maybe he's an athlete at the University of Iowa. Uh, But all of his friends, okay, are participating in the party culture at University of Iowa. This athlete wants to become a prominent sports figure, okay? Wants to be a well-rounded athlete, wants to go into the NBA, NFL, whatever it is, okay? And so that means that he has to dedicate himself. If he wants that, he has to dedicate himself to being in the gym hour after hour after hour, working out, working on his free throws, etc., right? But here's the deal. His friends that he wants to uh, nurture friendship with and enjoy life with, they're always on the weekends are going to all the parties. And so during the times that he should ought to be in gym training, his friends are at the party. So what does he choose? See, at, at some point, this, this idea that, f- that freedom is I get to choose whatever I want actually doesn't work in the end. It's impractical. Because you have to sublimate one of your wants underneath a greater want, depending on how you want to live your life. You see, real freedom means losing one desire in order to gain something better. And actually, I think the Bible presents to you a better way of freedom. Because in the Bible, uh, we have what actually directs you to choose what brings greatest joy. It's like the kid with a new Lego set. New Lego set. If a kid wants 
In creating this Lego set, he has to spend his time focusing on the instructions given to him in the manual. The same is for us. If we want maximum joy in God and how life is designed to be lived, we need to give ourselves to understanding and nurturing our knowledge of God in his word. And so, that is what we are given in the first two verses. Is these two voices... The voice of culture saying, pursue self above God. And the voice of Jesus saying, deny self, pick up your cross, and follow me. Because those who lose yourself, you'll actually find true life. Those are two voices. And Psalm 1 really wants us to choose the path that leads to life. And so which one will you choose this morning? Psalm 1 continues. It goes to two images now, right? Two voices, but now these two voices representing two paths, the path of righteousness in God's word, the path of wickedness that ends in death. It's represented by two images. Look down at verse 3 and 4. Which image represents you? The righteous person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked Contrary to the tree, they're not like that. They're not prospering. They're not uh, green and verdant and growing. They're not fruitful. They're not planted. In fact, they're like chaff. They are uprooted. They are unstable. They are fleeting. Chaff is dead. The tree is alive. And that's actually what, throughout the Bible, the image of a tree is always connected to this theme of life and fellowship with God and under God's blessing. Trees are fruitful and they're abundant. That means there's been blessing from God. And in Scripture, actually, chaff is the image of judgment. If you actually look at Matthew 3, John the Baptist talks about God's uh, judgment, and he talks about how uh, he will take away the chaff to judgment, separating the, the chaff from the wheat, and the chaff will go to judgment. Now this is why in verse 5, look down. It says, Therefore, since the wicked are like chaff, dead and empty, the wicked will not stand in what? The judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. They don't have a belonging in the people of God because they have rejected him, scoffed at his word, and chosen to live life according to their own desires. And so there's two images. The tree representing life and blessing from God as we listen and obey his voice in Scripture. It is a life of fruitfulness. It is a life of blessing to those around you. Or the life of chaff representing the fragility and emptiness of a life apart from God under his judgment. Death. Instead of bringing a blessing to others, you're causing brokenness and inflicting brokenness to those around you. Friends, which image defines your life, if you're honest? Or if you ask your friend who came with you, or your spouse, are you a tree? Are you planted deeply in the streams of God's word? Are you growing up and bearing fruit for his kingdom? Are you blessing those around you? Are you like chaff, empty, fragile, all about self, all about me, not able to bless those around you? Friends, Here's the good news to you. Those of you who are feeling condemned, those of you who would say, wait, wait I feel like chaff. That, that defines me. I'm not like the tree. I'm, I'm the fragile. I feel empty. Well, the good news is that Jesus is in the business of making chaff into trees. Trees of life. Trees of flourishing. You see what it said about the tree? What did it say? Is that it's planted. 
Okay? Trees, not sure if you knew this, trees don't plant themselves, do they? You don't see trees moving, unless it's Lord of the Rings. You don't see trees moving and then planting themselves, do you? No. They have to be, it's all done for them, uprooted and planted somewhere where there's streams of water where they can be fed the nutrients of the water, right? It's, it's an act of grace, friends. The grace of Jesus is in the business of taking people who are empty, fragile, and broken and filling them with his life, his fruitfulness, his joy, his beauty, his love. That is what Jesus does. And it's open to anyone. It's open to anyone. So we had two voices, right? And those two voices are trying to tell us to walk down a certain path. And then whatever path you choose, it's reflected in the image, right? This chaff or this tree but then it ends in verse 6, right? Verse 6 says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so we finally get to the very end of this psalm. And God wants us to choose the path of life. He wants to know you because that's what it ends up becoming all about. Does the Lord know you? Or are you like the chaff, the wicked, that ends in death? So the choice is presented to us. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked will perish. Friends, God is very clear in Psalm 1. There are two paths, and there are only two paths. You can either follow the voice of culture that's going to tell you to do whatever you want with your life. Your money is yours, your sexuality is yours. It's about you. Who cares about what other people think? Just follow your own path. Follow your own heart. And friends, like Proverbs says, there's a path that at the beginning, it seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. Some of you, right now, are on the path of sin and wickedness. And it might be fun for a while, but dear friend, do you know that path will end in death under the judgment of God? And so I don't want you to go there. Psalm 1 doesn't want you to go there. And here's, here's the thing, right? Go back to the shoe thing with Claire. Okay, there, there's a point at which I can't decide on which choice to make, okay? And so usually what happens is Claire will give me one more reason about the shoe. Maybe because of the cool shoelace colors, or maybe because it's a better fit, or whatever. Just one more reason that will kind of, in a sense, push me over the edge to make my final choice. And that's That's what we have the psalmist does not have. What am I talking about? Friends, we have one more reason why I think the sane choice to make when you look at the path that leads to death or the path that leads to life, to choose the path of life and that one more reason is a person. You see, we have someone the psalmist never had. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to read their Bibles, how to read their Old Testaments. This is what Jesus says. This is amazing. Everything written about me in the Law of Moses, first five books of the Bible, the prophets, and the Psalms, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Everything written about me in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so what we have here is this. Psalm 1, okay, Jesus, Psalm 1, Jesus, Jesus is Psalm 1 with skin on. Jesus is the blessed man from heaven. 
Jesus did not listen to the voice of his culture. Why? Because he was delighting in the voice of his Father. In fact, it says in the Gospel of John that the Lord Jesus just delighted to do his Father's will. He was about his Father's business. He was intent on meditating and reflecting and applying to his own life and obeying the voice of his Father. And guess what that meant for Jesus? It meant life and flourishing. If you want to talk about a fruitful tree, look at Jesus of Nazareth. He is the most amazing person who's ever existed. Everyone he touched came to life. The sick were healed. The broken were fixed. The dead were raised to newness of life. Everywhere Jesus went, streams of water were flowing from him. Fruit was being born for the kingdom of God. Of God. Jesus is the righteous man who has chosen the path of life. But here's the deal. For those of you who are tempted towards the path of wickedness that ends in death, you see what happens in verse 4, right? There's a switch. The wicked are not so. And tell us about the wicked as chaff, which is the image of judgment. And so what we see in the life of Jesus is not that his life ends in fruitfulness, but his life ends on a cross. And what is cross? The cross is the place of judgment. And so what we see is this. Those of us who have been walking down the path of wickedness, it's as if Jesus has walked down that path towards us and has said, dear friend, turn from the path of wickedness and come back. Because on the cross, Jesus has dealt with your sin and your judgment that you deserve. Why? So he can give you life. John three sixteen. God loved the world so much he gave his only son, so that what? Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the heart of the gospel, and it's the offer to every single one of us. Jesus loves you so much, and he wants to convince you through Psalm 1 to choose the path of life, that he's willing to die for you. And in his resurrection, he brings life to all who believe and receive him. This is the good news of Psalm 1, that it presents to us Jesus, this righteous man who's gone down the path of wickedness for us. So friends, you and I never have to. Jesus experienced death so you could have life. Jesus took upon your sin so you can once and for all turn away from it and walk in the newness of life that he offers to you right now through the Holy Spirit. It is yours. Friends, which path will you choose? Jesus wants you to choose the path of life. In fact, he loves you, and he wants it so badly for you, he's willing to die for you to give it to you. Friends, will you please choose the path of life and turn from the way of wickedness? Are you fooling around with sin this morning? Friends, is there sin in your life that you need to deal with and turn from? Jesus Christ was crucified for that sin, you have the power of the Spirit to turn away from the path of wickedness and to walk down the path that leads to life. This is what Jesus Christ offers you. So in conclusion, I'll end by this, okay? Look back down at verse 2. Talking about the righteous person, okay? The path that leads to life, okay? The heart of it is this. Verse 2 is delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. Here's what I want us to be. Parkview Church, as a community, I want us to choose life in Jesus 
by delighting in his word. I want us to be a Bible-saturated community. The 2020 vision, the second trait of discipleship, is living the story. By that, we mean enjoying God's word, loving it. Psalm 2, delighting in it, meditating on it, thinking about it, okay? And there, here's the three, three parts of that. First is this, personal priority. Friends, is the word of God a personal priority in your life? And here's what I'm not saying, okay? I almost titled this sermon, Parkview, Stop Reading Your Bibles, okay? The reason why, look down at verse 2. Does it say, blessed is the man who reads his Bible? No. It says, blessed is the person who delights in the law of the Lord. So it's a certain way of engaging the Word of God. And so if you just think of the, the Bible like your newspaper, of course it's going to be boring. But if you look at the Bible as your access into Jesus, and only in Jesus is found life, you better believe that you're going to delight and feast on the Bible. Because you know that in the Bible contain the very words of life in Christ. And so are you approaching the Bible in your personal life? Meditate on, on it. Delighting in it. Thinking about it. There's a bunch of songs being written that are just putting the Bible to me. Are you singing the Bible? Whatever it is for you, are you when you drive, is it, are you listening to it? Some of you are so busy with kids at home, you only have like those three minutes. But man, use those three minutes and just eat the Bible, okay? Again, the people don't, I don't, I don't, my pastor, okay, I, my job is to delight in the Bible, okay? So I have a little bit more time than most of you. But whatever it is for you, however much time, I'm not going to tell you, it has to be 35 minutes from 7 o'clock to 7.35. No, I'm just saying, whatever it looks like for you, whatever you do, for the sake of your life in Christ, delight in the Bible, meditate on it, feast on it, and eat it up. Is it a personal priority in your life? Second, Parkview Church, in our community groups, is the Bible shaping our culture? Friends, uh, one of the fascinating things about Psalm two, uh, Psalm 1, right, is that it says uh, this person, he delights on it, he meditates on it, and then what? And then he's like a tree that produces fruit. If you want to be the type of person that enters into your community, your family, your marriage, your friendships, uh, your uh, roommate, whatever it is, and you want to be a person of love and joy and peace and generosity and kindness and mercy to them, guess what you have to do? You have to eat the Bible. You have to delight in it. Reading the Bible is not just for your own edification and you just feeling good about yourself. Reading the Bible is communal in nature— because as you delight in God's word and feast on it and you receive the life-giving love of Jesus Christ in the word, you become a person who spreads the life-giving love of Jesus to all the people around you. And so is the Bible creating the community culture here at Parkview? By the way, that is why community groups are so essential. You cannot be a true follower of Jesus and just do this by yourself. You must be in a community saturated by the Bible. That's why community groups are so essential. Third, and this is, this is where I end, Sunday morning. Sunday morning, friends, are we coming to church here at Parkview expecting to meet with Jesus through the Word? Are we people on Sundays coming here to Parkview eagerly expecting to delight in the law of God, to hear the Lord teach us his truth, to be shaped by that truth, and then to be sent out by the power of the Spirit to display that truth to our neighbors and coworkers throughout the week? Friends, I wonder if the reason church is so boring to so many of us is because we have so low expectations of what happens on Sunday mornings. 
The Bible says this. What's happening on Sunday, I don't even know how to even explain this fully. But this mystery of preaching of God's word is that Jesus is being presented to you in all of his living beauty through the word of God and through the singing of God's people. And as you come on Sundays, you come to feast and love and enjoy and receive all the good that is yours in Jesus Christ. And it shapes you and it teaches you and trains you to love certain things and to hate certain things that God, that displeases the Lord. That's what's happening on Sundays. The Lord Jesus himself is coming in our midst through the presence of his Holy Spirit and shaping us and conforming us to his image through his word so that we are sent out to be his witnesses and ambassadors in everyday life. Friends, Sunday morning, is it a priority in your life? And are you coming here expectant to meet with Jesus? A community that personally prioritizes the word the Bible saturating our community culture, and they all together now, that's a church park view, expecting Jesus to do something wonderful in your life and the life of those beside you here on Sunday mornings. And it all comes back down to verse 2. The path of life is about those who delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. This is the life that Christ is offering to you. I want you to choose the path of life. Psalm 1 wants you to choose the path of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Psalm 1, Lord. It's compelling us. It's moving us towards Jesus in, in whom is found all the glorious riches of life and love and joy forever. Lord, would you train us to be a community a people here at Parkview that are hungering and delighting in and feasting on and meditating and applying and speaking the Bible into our lives. Lord, would you come and convince us, Lord, that the path of wickedness, there is nothing there. It only ends in destruction. Would you shape my heart and the hearts of the people here to turn from the path of wickedness and to choose the path of life, which right now through Jesus Christ is open to all who believe, simply receiving it by the empty hands of faith, not through what we've done, but through what Christ has done. So by your Spirit, would you come? Shape us, mold us, Lord. Conform us into your image through the truth of your word, for your glory we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.